Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, in honor of Remembrance Day, Pastor Neil Effa preaches on John chapter 8, verses 28 to 36, in a message titled, Set Free. It is heart-wrenching to watch troops being dispatched to war-torn parts of the world. I think many of us have seen via television fathers and mothers hugging and kissing their uniformed son or daughter, not knowing if or when they will see them again. We have seen children crying, not understanding why mommy or daddy has to go away. And these images give us a glimpse into some of the personal pain and sorrow families experience as they defend our country. For those of us who have not gone through the terrible ordeal of war, it is often difficult to comprehend the hurt, the pain, the sorrow, the anguish, the suffering, and the grief that pierce the hearts of those who are deployed into duty. Only those who have experienced firsthand the awfulness of war can truly appreciate the sacrifice of countless men and women. Men and women who give of their resources and many of their very lives for our peace and freedom. Therefore, I think it is vitally important to have a day set aside to acknowledge and remember the horrendous atrocities of war and to remember those who gave themselves sacrificially for our freedom. I think it's important that we hear stories from our veterans. We ought to be extremely grateful for these men and women who voluntarily, without regard for themselves, went to the front lines, worked in ammunition factories and in hospitals, piloted planes or maneuvered armored tanks so that our country would not fall under enemy control. And so like millions of Canadians today, our minds are focused on our freedom as a nation, a freedom bought with the sweat, toil, and blood of countless Canadians. Freedom is a hope of many around the world. There is a longing, there's a desire in the hearts of people for freedom. In fact, freedom is possibly one of the strongest desires of the human soul. It was the desire of Hebrew slaves in Egypt. It was the desire of Jewish captives in Babylon. It was the desire of the black slaves in the United States of America. It was the desire of Martin Luther King. It was the desire of an Indian by the name of Mahatma Gandhi. And it was the desire of Nelson Mandela. But even as we, along with men and women around the world, prize freedom, we must be compelled to consider a greater freedom, our freedom in Christ. It is a freedom that comes with being his disciple. In John's gospel, Jesus speaks much about freedom, and this is what he says. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is that you say you, we, you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. 
So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. As I mentioned in this passage and in other passages, Jesus talks much about freedom. But in light of that, let me ask you the question. What do you think and what do you feel when you hear the word freedom? In other words, how would you define this word? What is the meaning of true freedom for you? We usually associate it with the right to live as we please and pursue our ambitions and our dreams. In other words, for many people, freedom is a right to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, and however they want to do it. For them, freedom has no boundaries, no rules, no restrictions, and no limitations. Do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go. Be whoever you want to be. Yet we cannot read the parable of the prodigal son without realizing that this is exactly the way he defined freedom. He thought that getting an, an early inheritance, leaving home and going off and indulging in instant gratification was freedom. But he soon found out that it was just another form of slavery. And so we come back to the question, what is the meaning of freedom? What is the true meaning of true freedom? I like the way John Piper describes true freedom. He writes, you're fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you with no regrets forever. You are fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you with no regrets forever. And he goes on to explain, if you don't have the desire to do a thing, you are not fully free to do it. Oh, you may muster the willpower to do what you don't want to do, but nobody calls that full freedom. And if you have the desire to do something, but no ability to do it, you are not free to do it. And if you have the desire and the ability to do something, but no opportunity to do it, you are not free to do it. And if you have the desire to do something and the ability to do it and the opportunity to do it, but it destroys you in the end, you're not fully free, not free indeed. And then he illustrates it with the example of skydiving. He says, say you want to experience a thrill of the freedom of skydiving, but on the way to the airport, you have an accident and you can't get there. You lack the freedom of opportunity. Or suppose you get there, but you didn't take the required class, so you don't know how to operate the parachute. You lack the freedom of ability. Or you get to the airport, you took the classes, and you go up in the plane, but when they open the door and you look down, you're paralyzed with fear. You lack the freedom of desire, so you don't jump. But there's one last requirement for true freedom. Suppose you get to the airport, which is a freedom of opportunity, you took the classes, which is a freedom of ability, and you go up in the plane, look out the door, and can't wait to jump, which is a freedom of desire. So you jump, and you are enjoying the freedom of falling through the air. But your parachute is defective, and you're going to crash on the ground. You're not truly free because what you're doing is going to destroy you. So let's go back to his definition once again. You're fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you with no regrets forever. Where can an individual find such freedom? I mean, is that freedom even possible? 
Well, it is possible, and it's only found in and through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When you truly believe in Christ, he gives you the desire to please him, to please the one who lavished you with his grace. He gives you the ability to obey him as you walk in the spirit who lives in you, as you walk in newness of life. He gives you the opportunity daily to say no to sin and selfishness and to serve others in love. And you will dwell with Jesus in heaven forever with no regret that you left your life of sin to follow him. That's a true freedom that comes through knowing Christ, through genuine faith and abiding in the word. It's for this very reason Jesus came to the earth. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These words are almost identical to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus, therefore, is saying, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. I am the one that he spoke of. I am the one who has come to set captives free, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Whether we recognize it or not, all of us have been held captive at one point or another. And Jesus came to reveal those hidden areas of bondage so that we can deal with them and live in true freedom. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Salvation, receiving Christ as Savior, is only the beginning of the Christian life. When we discover and live in God's will, we can enjoy the fullness and abundance that he promised. We discover the richness of living in the will of the Almighty God. Unfortunately, however, even after we begin our journey with Jesus, there are many things that can rob us of that freedom we have in Christ. There are many things that can hold us in captivity. And what are those things? I think people are held in captivity by errors, by false beliefs. For example, those who think good works or performance earn, go earn God's acceptance and never know what good enough and how much is sufficient. Rather than accepting the free gift of salvation, they believe that somehow they must earn or merit God's favor. And as a result, they live in bondage to this lie, to this false belief. Others have confusing ideas about who's going to heaven. Some believe that everyone is universally accepted into heaven, whether they accept Jesus Christ as Savior or not. And again, they are held in captivity by this false belief, by this lie that Satan has embedded upon their heart. All these ideas lock people into that spiritual jail because none of them are true. Some people are held captive by evil habits. A prevailing attitude today is this is my life. I can do with it whatever I want. However, toleration of sinful practices results in enslavement to them. Consider the list of evil habits Paul compiled in the book of Galatians. These he calls works of the flesh. He said, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He goes on to say, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So many people believe it is their right and their freedom to engage in these kind of practices. But the reality is that as they do so, they become slaves to these things. And they do not experience a true freedom that they are looking for. And then people are also held captives by emotions. Emotional bondage is sometimes very difficult to identify because it lies so deep inside a person. And sometimes an individual has trouble even unraveling and unpacking some of the emotions that they are chained to that, that enslave them. But what are some of those emotions? There's fear. There's false guilt. Jealousy. Worry and anxiety. Prejudice. Failure. Bitterness. An unforgiving spirit. And insecurity, just to name a few of the emotions that can enslave individuals. And I ask this morning, can you and I identify any of these in our lives? As we survey the landscape of our soul, do we see any of these emotions holding us hostage? If so, there is hope. And that hope is found in understanding our salvation through Jesus Christ. And so we need to ask, how does our salvation through Christ bring freedom? Well, the Bible tells us and reminds us of at least three, three freedoms we have because of our salvation. First of all, Christ has provided freedom from sin's penalty. And the Bible calls this justification. When we came to saving faith in Christ, confessing our great need of him and asking for forgiveness from the punishment that we deserve, God declared or pronounced us as righteous because of Christ because of the work that he accomplished in our behalf on the cross. As such, we are assured of God's blessings toward us, and we no longer fear his wrath and his condemnation. Justification is an instantaneous act of God that begins the Christian life. Since Christ bore the penalty of our sin, we receive freedom from that penalty for all of our sins, past, present, as well as future. We were justified before God, our judge, because our penalty had been paid. Those who have been justified never need re-justifying. We can look back to the time of our justification and know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our justification is behind us. It's a past occurrence. We were saved from sin's penalty. But when we accept Christ, he has also provided freedom from sin's power. The Bible calls this sanctification. Now that the grace of God has been set upon us as a permanent seal, we are being made new. We are being set free from the power of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides within us. God's grace is restoring to us a will that wants what he wants. So in sanctification, the Spirit of God is empowering us to grow out of sin and to be formed more fully into the likeness of Jesus. Before we were justified, our broken wills were utterly subject to the power of sin. We chose sin at every turn. Even when we made choices that appeared good from the external standpoint, because we had no higher internal purpose than to glorify self, these choices were ultimately sinful as well. Now the power of sin is broken. We have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit. 
Though once we chose only to sin, now we have the power and the growing desire to choose righteousness. We who were only slaves to sin's power are now free to serve God. We don't always use our freedom. We still sin, but over time we learn increasingly to choose holiness. Our entire lives are devoted to working out our salvation as we learn to choose righteousness instead of sin, to walk in obedience to God's commands. Our sanctification is ongoing. It is a slow-moving growth in holiness. We're being saved from sin's power. But Christ, through salvation, has also provided freedom from sin's presence. And the Bible refers to this as glorification. This is a consummation of our salvation. We will still fight to grow in holiness our entire earthly lives. But when we have run the race, when we have fought the good fight, we will enter into the presence of our Lord and Savior forever. We will be glorified. In his presence, our soul rest will at last be complete as sin and this devastation will cease to assail us and cease for us to battle it. We'll be completely free from the presence of sin. There can be no evil in the presence of God. Though now we are surrounded on all sides by sinfulness, though now sin continues to cling to our hearts on a day not too distant, we will go to a place where sin is no more. And in our glorification, we will at last be granted freedom from the very presence of sin. Our glorification is coming. It is a day we trade the persistent presence of sin for the perfect presence of our Lord. We will be saved from sin's presence. Glorification, however, occurs at its fullest when all who have died in Christ, as well as believers who are alive at Christ's return, will receive perfect, incorruptible bodies that will last for eternity. The process of sanctification will then be complete. We will be with Jesus and like Jesus, free from the presence of sin and perfect in body and soul. Our complete freedom from sin is certain, but it's not sudden. So we rest confidently in our justification. We labor diligently in our sanctification and we hope expectantly in our glorification. In other words, we can be assured of our justification. It has happened. One day, you and I, through faith in Christ, were freed fully from the penalty of sin, past, present, and future. We need to be patient with our sanctification. It is happening. Each day, we are being freed increasingly from the power of sin as we choose to say yes to righteousness and no to sin. And we're eager for our glorification. It is going to happen. One day we will be freed finally from the presence of sin. And so let's return to the description of freedom that John Piper offers us. He said, you are fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you with no regrets forever. Now we went on to say, we have no man-made parachute. We have a savior. Because he died for us, there is no condemnation. The inexorable, deadly, gravitational pull of our sins is broken. He has caught us in midfall and has become our supreme treasure. Our destiny and our desires are new. He is their source. He is their content. He gave us a new desire, and he is a new desire. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
And then he goes on to say, is it not then utterly foolish for a Christian to envy the so-called freedom of those who pitch themselves out the skyscraper window of sin and exult for a season in the exhilaration of freefall greed or freefall drugs or freefall fame or freefall sex or freefall power or freefall luxury, oblivious of Jesus? All this freedom is like a vapor, but those who trust in Jesus and treasure him above all will mount up with wings like eagles and be glad. A thousand years from now, they will be free indeed. So Jesus, in John's gospel, is not giving us information concerning freedom. He's giving us an invitation to trust him, to treasure him. He died and rose again to make us free, to be free indeed. The great hymn writer Charles Wesley was undoubtedly moved by the freedom in Christ when in 1738 he penned the stanza. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. November 11th, a day in which we remember our national and our political freedom. And it's a wonderful thing, one that we need to rejoice in, one that we should not take for granted, one that we should use a piece of our land as an opportunity to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But political freedom, as wonderful as it is, doesn't compare to spiritual freedom. Spiritual freedom is even better because you can experience it no matter what sort of government you live under. And as we have been reminded this morning, true spiritual freedom lasts forever. And so as I conclude this morning, I want to just share with you or ask, pose to you three questions. And I would have you consider them throughout the day or throughout this morning. What false beliefs evil habits or emotions enslave you and hold you captive. I challenge you to survey the landscape of your soul and to allow the Holy Spirit to identify to you those things that enslave you. Are there some lies that you bought into? Are there some evil habits and practices that you're engaging in, believing in some way they're going to bring freedom? How about your emotions? Are there things that you are holding on to, thinking that in some way you are going to get even with someone or make amends with someone by hanging on to perhaps bitterness or resentment or an unforgiving spirit? Maybe you're paralyzed by fear, anxiety, and worry. Would you ask God to reveal to you this morning what are some of those things that might be enslaving you, holding you captive? Jesus said in John chapter 8, that if we know the truth, the truth will make us free. And so in what ways are you abiding in the word, in the truth of God's word? What are you doing on a consistent, regular basis to abide in the word? Jesus said, if you abide in me, my word abides in you, you're my disciple, you're my follower. And if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And then finally, going back to what John Piper reminded us of in his description of freedom, 
Is Christ your supreme treasure? Is he your supreme treasure? Is he my supreme treasure? Do we value him above all? Do we pursue him wholeheartedly? I trust that throughout today and the days that follow, that you'll take time to reflect upon these questions. Let me conclude with this thought. True freedom comes from knowing Christ through that genuine faith and abiding in his word. If we do that, we will be free, free indeed. Would you please bow as I pray? Gracious God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior of the world. And we thank you that in Christ, the salvation that he has offered us, the salvation that we embrace, we can be free and free indeed. Father, forgive us when we allow ourselves to be enslaved to lies, and to emotions, and to evil practices. Forgive us, Father, when we choose sin over righteousness. When we do not walk in the power of your spirit, the very spirit that indwells us. Father, forgive us when we do not experience that abundant life that your son came to give us. So this morning I pray that we would choose to understand more fully what we have embraced through salvation in Christ. And I pray that we would live out that salvation. That we would remember that we are justified. That we would remember that through the power of the Spirit we are being sanctified. And one day we will be glorified when we are in your presence forever. We ask, Father, for you to mold us and shape us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus, so that we would live for your honor and for your glory, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.